accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing our run through Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We are up to the season four premiere. It's called Way of the Warrior. First episode of the fourth season first aired on October 2nd, 1995. A feature-length episode written by Iris Stephen Bear, Robert Hewitt Wolf, directed by James L. Conway. In this episode, when a Klingon fleet under General Martok arrives at the station ostensibly to protect the Alpha Quadrant from the Dominion, Sisko recruits Lieutenant Commander Worf to discover the Klingon's true intentions. We're joined by Clay. Clay, how are you? I'm good. Um, I wonder, well, first of all, I'm going to call bullshit on this episode because that Klingon at the beginning bleeds red blood. Oh, yeah. Not purple. Where was the quality control person for continuity and nerd-related matters? <laughs> the science consultant was still thinking about that explorer ship being too small to uh, effectively make its way across space. We're going to be talking... And second of all, um, <laughs> what's going on in the holodeck? <laughs> It's a hollow suite, right? So it, it's a little bit different. Um, yeah, like that was that was straight porno dialogue, wasn't it? Yeah, that's what that's what's going on in the hollow suite. It is pretty. Apparently. It is pretty sweet. It is very nice. Um, yeah. So we have a semi-large announcement to make here. Um, Clay has kindly agreed because you all comment all the time on YouTube about how this needs to happen, or at least you need to watch the episodes. Um, this will be my last episode. <laughs> <laughs> because you guys don't want me here anymore. Yeah, Clay, Clay's very upset with people predicting what he's going to think about an episode, so he's decided to just not give you guys fuel for your fodder. Um, yep. Yeah, Clay, instead of uh, people's suggestion was that you should just watch the episodes, Clay, on your own and not... Which everyone knows I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so to uh, to meet in the middle, we're just going to have Clay do every single episode of DS9 from here on out, and Clay's graciously agreed you know to why you know why I agreed to do this? Because... The only thing I hear is that, oh, season four, five, blah, 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 are the best seasons of Star Trek ever. And I want to be able to be fully prepared and fully knowledgeable when I just tear this shit to the ground at the end. Yeah, you have to know what you're talking about to be able to disagree with people. Um, So be careful what you wish for. So, Clay, everyone should say uh, thank you to Clay. You can go out, you can buy Clay's books and stuff as a thank you. You can donate to the Patreon, which is also effective in uh, keeping Clay around. But, Clay, we're glad to have you. So, we're going to get started with The Way of the Warrior, but I thought I'd take one little thing before this. Uh, Did you listen to the intro theme music, or did you skip it? I skipped it. Skipped Uh, it? I did. Is it different? It's different. It's very different. Yeah. Yeah, because I noticed uh, just the little bit that I listened to before the, the skip thing popped up, it did sound different. So um, I'm not going to hold that against you. I'll give you my thoughts. People were wondering. Um, I Going into it, I thought that I preferred the new remix version that they do from season four onward through the rest of it. Uh, it's not just the music. They actually reshot the intro sequence, which is largely the same, but there's a lot more ships and a lot of people sort of in spacesuits flying around the station and all the exterior shots of it. Oh, and it also has that, uh, that rap in the middle that explains the Dominion. Right. <laughs> It's very like a Bart Simpson's rap comes on, and it's very, uh, very pointed and um, cutting to the core of the Dominion. I think that the, um, 
I prefer the original music, I think. the I'm kind of in a tough place. The Thematically, what they did is they made the station look busier. So, like, you know how when, in the opening when the, sta- when the camera pans over and it shows the station in the distance as DS9 pops up on the screen? Mm-hmm. I liked the... What they do bef- what they do in this new version is that you see a couple shuttlecraft fly at the camera before you see the station. Mm. And I like the I like the station being isolated. And I like the idea of it being out in no man's land where what they've done here is they've they've kind of implied the fact that the station is now a hub of activity. It's like a very important place where a lot of people go to. And that makes sense in terms of the show, but at the same time I kind of um I like the original music a little bit better. It doesn't have this pulsing bass line that the new one does that kind of annoys me and distracts <laughs> me. And the first, the music originally felt more um, melancholy. And this one feels a lot more triumphant and like um, in your face than the other one. I just prefer the laid back version in seasons one to three. The sunglasses are 25% bigger on this version. Yes. It's, it's got the hood. It's got the, uh, the hood up and the, uh, the <laughs> top down and stuff like that on this one. So, Let's get into it. We're going to break down The Way of the Warrior. I'm going to play an audio clip. Me and Claire are going to come back, and we are going to talk about it. I brought your discharge papers. I thought you might want to take a look at them before I send them off to Starfleet. Thank you, sir. I understand you're headed for the Nibarite Alliance. Yes. I'll leave this afternoon. For me, it was a job on Earth, directing construction of orbital habitats. Why did you change your mind? I finally realized that it wasn't Starfleet I wanted to get away from. I was trying to escape the pain I felt after my wife's death. I thought I could take the uniform, wrap it around that pain and toss them both away. But it doesn't work like that. Running may help for a little while. But sooner or later, the pain catches up with you. And the only way to get rid of it is to stand your ground and face it. But wearing that uniform must remind you of what you have lost. Sometimes. But it also reminds me of what I've gained and who I am. Oh, I can throw away the uniform, resign my commission, run all the way to the Nibarite Alliance. But it really wouldn't matter. A Starfleet officer. That's what I am. And that's what I'll always be. All right, Clay. So, Way of the Warrior. We should just get the the elephant out of the room. Let's just push on its huge posterior and get it out of here. What'd you think? Worf. Worf's back. You were looking forward to it. You were wondering when Worf is going to appear, and here he is. Yeah, I'm so excited to to get to watch Michael Dorn... um, stage combat his way through these fight scenes again <laughs> he's just i you know ever since sean pointed that out i can't unsee it he's not good at fighting <laughs> no he's he's um he's not you know who's actually good kira is very good in her um fight scenes which is something that is, it's kind of a little distraction but she has a good fight scene in this one she uh she gets stabbed and stuff but she sells it very well he is very um she also has like five different hairstyles in this episode i think yeah they're sorting out how they want to go in the season it's the biggest uh, writer's room debate i think michael dorn stands um it's like very if you're posing for a photograph 
You know what I mean? Like if someone was like, give me a, a, a I'm going to take a photo, pose like a karate master. He kind of gives you like an overly <laughs> yes. exaggerated, I'm here for a picture thing. Yeah. It's like Elvis doing karate. Basically. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but I guess in all, uh, in all seriousness, what'd you think of Worf? How did you, how'd you feel about Worf? And I have a couple follow-up questions. I think we'll, we'll focus on Worf for the early part here because he's so important to the whole thing. Um, I was happy to see him, but I was actually kind of surprised at how jarring it was at first. Um, only because, you know, adding O'Brien isn't, wasn't really that big of a a shift because he's sort of a, he was, he's sort of a background character here and he was even more of a background character on TNG. Uh, he's just a familiar face, but Worf is a pretty big addition um, and adds a lot of stuff into it. And I think, given the story that they're telling, it's definitely the right call. Worf's arguably one of the top three characters of TNG, I would say, right? It would be like oh, Picard, yeah. Data, yeah. and Worf, I think, takes the third spot. So it's not like he's... It's not. It's like you're saying, it's not O'Brien or Wesley Crusher, for God forbid, like coming into Deep Space Nine. Um, right. it's, it's someone with an established backstory and who has a lot of writing about him. Yeah, I would say it's it's as equal an addition to like as you're saying. Uh, it's probably not as big of an addition as if uh, Picard decided to become a regular character. But uh, if Data or Riker or I was gonna say Geordi, but no. I don't think Geordi would be as big. Yeah, if no. if it's a, it's as big an ad I think is if Data or Riker joined the cast. Yep. Um, and. It's a good place to bring him in because, uh, you know, I've always said the most interesting thing about, at least I think I've always said this, maybe I was only thinking this, I can't remember if I said it out loud. Uh, the most interesting interesting thing about Worf to me is that he's kind of a Klingon hipster in a way, uh, and he's constantly f- got the uh, riding the line between Federation and, and Klingon, and, and he grew up knowing the Federation, but he is a Klingon, so he's always had attachment to the Klingon people. It's and obviously that's grown to be more legitimate as he's gotten older and whatnot. But yeah. uh um you know, this this story that they're apparently telling is just smack dab right in the cutting wharf right down the middle. And um I think I think using him here is going to be a much more satisfying way to handle that stuff than on TNG because it doesn't have to be all or nothing and like oh here's the episode where we tackle that stuff and it kind of feels forced and blah 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 they, it, it's just a a constant part of the story I assume I assume that's what's going to happen is that yeah. this breakup with the Klingons is not going to repair itself uh, after they threaten to blow up Kronos by dropping a bomb down a <laughs> volcano or something <laughs> no this is um. So just as a little bit of groundwork, the Klingons are going to be basically the arc of the season. Um, And they end this episode by saying that the Klingons have sort of established themselves on the colonies that they conquered from Cardassia. And uh, the Cisco says the Klingons aren't going anywhere and neither are we. Mm -hmm. Um, There are still, I guess, I think what you were saying is like TNG would have its Klingon episodes. Yeah. And... DS9 will have a Klingon episode just by the nature if you consider a Klingon episode to be one that stars Worf. But his story is more consistently told across it because he's allowed to have these moments in episodes that aren't Klingon episodes. Um, yes. Because yeah. of the serialization nature. So, And I also really liked when Kira and Worf uh, bonded over being aloof and having nose bumps. I mean... The nose bumps thing wasn't explicit, but I feel like that's what was going on. <laughs> it was a lot of eye contact, a lot of uh, a lot of the knowing. 
Um, Does Worf have a crush on her? Is there like a weird, like unspoken love triangle between her and Odo and Worf? Unfortunately, no. Unfortunately, no. Um, oh. there's, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to go too much, but there is some stuff that pops up um, involving some of the names that you mentioned, so we can look Uh-oh. forward to that. Um, I think that the like, I was wondering how if. In my opinion, Worf is the only character that would have made sense from TNG coming over to this show. Um, I know that, like, you can look at it realistically. Like, if we lived in a realistic world where Patrick Stewart wasn't done with TNG at the end of TNG and he was, like, willing to actually go on another Star Trek show, I can understand wanting to get Patrick Stewart or Picard or something. doesn't make a lot of sense. I, I feel that Worf is the only character who was written well enough to amount to anything when he comes over and he's the only one who has a because he's the outsider character data is kind of an outsider character too but he's more of like a happy tng kind of outsider Worf being an outsider is the only one that fits over into this new series which is pretty much all the characters are outsiders or at least the majority of characters feel like they're outsiders who are fit into new situations that they don't really belong whether it's odo or cisco not wanting the job at first and then he becomes it or kira being an old terrorist who now has to become the bureaucrat who's running things um Worf fits really well in there i think they made the right decision i'm sure it was limited a little bit by michael dorn was one of the few actors who wanted to come back and do it um but i think it i think it works for him i think he's he's the right tng character in my opinion well i mean if you think about it he's he's the only one that really makes sense because the what deep space nine is about more so than tng is uh cultural conflict and cultural uh um uh interaction and the uh pushes and pulls and stressors of those things and wharf is the only character from TNG where who adds anything to that discussion. Um Riker doesn't add anything to that discussion. He I mean what is adding Riker does not add to the overall tapestry of D- DS9. No. Like uh he he would be he's a just huge a name. outlier. Yeah, he's just yeah, a name um, kind of, yeah. Picard wouldn't really do that. Uh Data wouldn't really do that. Um Jordy wouldn't really do it. Uh Troy wouldn't do it. Crusher, Crusher. wouldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember if I'm thinking. Well, I mean, Tasha might actually. <laughs> Wesley Crusher. Yeah, no, he wouldn't. Um, <laughs> and uh, maybe Guinan. Guinan, you know, Guinan would have been an interesting ad. Uh, I, I mean, obviously that wasn't going to happen, but um, yeah, I think Worf is the only one that makes sense to add to that. Add to D- Deep Space Nine. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Um, he has. I mean, I guess you could. I guess a complaint could be. I don't know if I have it about this episode is that he's kind of treading water a little bit in his storyline. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's basically, he's basically repeating his storyline again, because by the end of this, he's been again, ejected from the Klingon empire. Like they brought him back at the end of TNG and they're like, Oh, you're a Klingon again. And now they're just kind of rebooting that story. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's really a problem. It's a little bit of a different show at this point. And I think Worf, the way that Worf inter- uh, handles that, information is a little bit different here where he's he's being rejected from his life and he's also starting a new life as a starfleet officer it's not like he just goes back to the enterprise and goes on to another adventure next week Mm -hmm. Uh, it feels like it's a bigger shift for him and seeing more fear is funny for me it's like it's i'm very glad to see him uh i could probably understand if i was watching this in real time being very worried about him coming onto the show um 
but I think that we can branch it into the episode at large. I think they do a very good job here of the episode being feature length, but it's not a two-parter. It's written as one episode, and I think you really get that when you watch it. It doesn't feel like it's a disjointed two-parter with two stories that they stuck together to make it two hours long. Yeah, um, I actually noticed that the uh, lack of break. I don't know if uh, if this is a writer's room thing. <clears throat> I can only assume that it is because it, it eliminates that problem that they all seem to have of, you know, they front load the first episode and then they got to figure out how to resolve it. And then it's kind of unsatisfying or, you know, other way around, depending on which ones you're watching. Um, this one felt like the pacing was the same as they usually are. Yeah. But I didn't feel like it, it felt very cohesive and it didn't feel like, oh, well, the second half of this is kind of a letdown. Like I, I felt like as this one started, I was like, all right, this is. This is kind of slow setting it up, but then they really everything that they do at the in the first half is leads into the second half, and it felt like really cohesive. Yeah, the act, um, the, the when they split it into two episodes for reruns, they split it after Worf confronts Gowron, and Gowron says, "Come with us to Cardassia." That's where the yeah, break. That is. makes sense. Yeah, um, they cut out a couple scenes when they do it because it's a little bit long when they split it into two. But I think that it, I think that it holds up. The the first half is. It's not really a different story. It's just the first half is Worf figuring out what's going on the entire time. And the second one is the sort of action-y outcome of everything. Yeah. And I think that it works in the sense that, like you said, there's no real act break. Like, actually ending it on the Gowron thing feels like it's kind of a weak ending for the first episode. It's like, really? just That's where it's going to end? Like, Gowron screaming about things? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that it... As a whole, it really works. And there's only three Star Trek episodes besides the pilots who are feature length uh, like this. And two of them are Voyager episodes. So this is the only one that DS9 does. Uh, I, uh, I'd like works. to go on the record right now, though. I don't think I like Cassidy Yates. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, this is the first episode I've seen with her. You were like, uh, you were like adding one black person is fine, but not... As- <laughs> exactly. You know, I think there's a certain level... When things start to become forced, no, I'm obviously that's not true. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I think it's her. I, <laughs> Have you seen her before? I couldn't remember if you'd really. I couldn't remember if you had um, encountered no, Cassidy Yates. This is my first one, and I don't know if they specifically found someone who had an odd acting style to match that of uh, uh, Cisco. Mm-hmm. But her acting style's really weird to me, like. The way when they the, when they save her from the Cardassians and she's on screen, she's delivering her lines like she's never spoken English before. Or no, I shouldn't say that. It, it was like I I kept thinking, oh, is the story of this going to be that Cassidy is actually a uh, shapeshifter because she's talking, she's talking like a person who's trying to cover up the fact that she's not who she says like, she is, like a body snatcher. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, and obviously that didn't happen. I don't know if that happens later. But do, like, the, do you think that it's just? I, I think I know what the scene you're talking about. Is it just because the actors are trying to portray the fact that he is very um, concerned about her personally? Is that what you're picking up on? Yeah, I think I think it's. I think maybe that's what it is. Like it's. They have the script where Cisco says, is everyone over there okay? And she goes, everyone is fine. Because the, the subtext is that he only cares about her. Yeah, I think, and it's not just that scene. It's all of their scenes together. I feel like the, everything she's doing, her motiv- her motivation like is at the front of her head being like, you really love this man. Sure. You really love this man. So all of her her dialogue feels really like kind of floaty and weird. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm uh, if I don't know if I'm the only person that picks up on that. I think it's kind of strange. Um, Maybe I'm used to her. I don't. I don't find her that bad. Like I, I I'm, I'm not getting uh, Jennifer Cisco vibes off of the actress. No, um, she's a better actress than that. Um, yeah. And I, I've seen her in other stuff, and she is, she is, a, she is a good actress. She's, she's, she's legit. It's just, I don't know. It's just the, the affect to whatever she's doing is, is very odd. I don't know if. Maybe it's just a personal thing. Maybe I'll get used to it. I don't know. Maybe it's just Star Trek romance writing. That's possible too. That's you very know, possible. Yeah, that's, it's never been a strength of the series, and I don't think it uh, is great here. Although I do think that they—they're probably the most realistic of a dating couple that the show has really ever done. They—they—they aren't—they—they uh, they talk to each other in a semi-realistic way. It's mm-hmm. maybe a little bit forced because it feels like it's happening very quickly, but. It's not really that bad. You know, I, I assume you're supposed to think that time is passing and they actually see each other much more than they do in, in the uh, on screen. But uh, I don't mind her. I don't think I mind her that much. I didn't really notice. I'll, I'll have to see in the future if anything changes. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was just a standout because she was new and I hadn't seen her before. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember if you had actually seen her. Yeah, I think she's only been in one or two episodes. She's been mentioned in a few, but this is the first one that she's been seen. Um the other big thing about the episode before we get into like the weird specifics is that it's a I've, I've said this to you a hundred times and you kind of implied it in your opening about people saying that this is some of these seasons are reboots and everything's going to be fixed where the warrior much like uh, the search is really just another reboot for the season uh, or the series and I did my final thoughts video about season three and my takeaway from season three was that season three would best be considered after I'd seen them all to be 2.5 is a good way to look at it. I didn't find it that different from season two. And it was slightly better because it had some episodes like The Dice Cast and Probable Cause and The Search, which were really good. But largely, it stuck to the old weak sci-fi uh, B-plot type stuff that season two had been doing. And even though we had felt at the time that The Search was happened, it was a big change. The Way of the Warrior feels like a bigger shift to me. And it feels like a... Way of the Warrior feels like a pilot in a lot of ways, that the search maybe didn't, but the search is conflict fixing or the, the way that the narrative of the search did. Where the Warrior feels very piloty because everyone has a scene, but they're all very good. They all have like these weird sort of character building scenes that don't really add anything to the plot, but because it's a feature-length story, they're allowed to have those scenes because there's not this 40-minute crunch on the time. And I like that. And also... Worf's storyline mirrors Cisco's storyline in Emissary, where he's not sure if he wants to continue being in Starfleet. And at this point, Cisco has grown enough as a character to give advice to Worf about what he would do in that situation again. Right. Um, I'm did, surprised did, he wasn't yeah. like, it got to the point where I even ran into the mirror universe version of my wife, and frankly, I didn't care. <laughs> I didn't care. Ron Moore didn't care. Renea Chavaria didn't care. I, do you think that the, do you think that the, I, I think it's, and it's funny in a season or a series that has 26 episodes in a season and there's seven seasons, the character arcs are not really, they're not really like hammered home, but you can see them when you compare them to where you started from and where you ended up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the mirroring here. I like the Worf as Cisco role and he's sort of figuring out where he wants to go. It's maybe a little bit redundant, but it, that's the way that I'm saying it's kind of a rebooted pilot for the show. Did you did you uh, have any thoughts about the piloting nature, like an, yet another reboot coming down the pipe from DS9? Well, first, I like that you're very subtly plugging your new website, Star Trek Ring Theory. 
<laughs> ben Oswalt, our first guest. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, 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 I like that. I, you know, I didn't think that the uh, the the comparisons between their two stories were super obvious throughout most of the episode until you really get that last scene. And I thought the last scene was really good uh, with the two of them. Yep. Um, but good yeah, acting I, I, from both of them. Avery yeah. Brooks in his most restrained, I think, is very strong, and he's restrained there. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I don't think Worf got a ton of time to really sit with any of that stuff, and maybe that's for the best, because, I mean, they do a lot of... There's a lot of actions that he has to take <clears throat> that kind of dictate which way he's going to go along the way, but it's not really... You don't get a lot of time of him, like, brooding over stuff. No. Uh, it's just sort of like... A couple scenes says, with O'Brien. Yeah, and he's like, I'm going to quit Starfleet, and then... Uh, Cisco's like, eh, maybe don't do that yet. I need you on this thing. He's like, okay, fine. And yeah. then at the end, he's like, I think I might still quit Starfleet. I think, um, it, I think it kind of hints at the fact that I think Worf never really seriously wants to give up. You know, he never pushes back. He's because yeah. I guess it's kind of the honor thing because Cisco's like, you know what? You can't quit now. I need you. You need to stay here and honor your agreement. And Worf is the character who's like, I will stay because that is the right thing to do. Yeah. And, you know, I think what's interesting about his uh, conflict personal conflict and cultural conflict is he comes from a this society that bases itself around honor and i think i think what's fun is the writers kind of kind of play around with the fact that when that concept was created i don't think it was totally fleshed out it was just sort of like a, a easy shorthand for the yeah. klingons yeah, it's a catchphrase for the klingons yeah too. and so when you get a character like Worf, you get to really apply that and what the philosophy behind it is because he comes from a, a culture that is honor honor over everything but what does that where you apply that honor seems to matter well or i mean it's, to some people it doesn't because the on the klingon side they're like well you know honor above everything you got to come and be a klingon and he's like dude honor above everything i'm part of starfleet right and so it, it does create a very interesting, uh, you know, split and lets you kind of dig into what exactly that that phrase means to, uh, as, as far as who it's applied to. Well, the uh, if it fits into the hipster Klingon thing where Worf learned about being a Klingon by reading a, a book and like it's it was probably written by Klingons, um, that book. And Worf, even in TNG, most of his arc was realizing that that phrase and that ethos doesn't really fit Klingon culture all the way through. There's still like political machinations that the Klingons mm -hmm. go through where mm -hmm. they are willing to not be honorable to achieve their end goal. Like there, it's not a, it, it's a rule that Worf thinks is much stronger in their culture than it actually is. And here it works well because he is squaring off against Martok, who's a new Klingon that we mentioned, Gowron, who, um, both kind of embody that, but are also the DS9, DS9ization of the Klingons in that they are politically motivated in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And I really like the Klingons in DS9. Like the, the, the reason the Klingons are here is because the ratings were bad for DS9. They said, you need to do something about this. Uh, and so how about we use the Klingons? Kids don't like spoons, and they don't <laughs> like spoons on people's heads. We need to have something that people can recognize. So they wanted to, after the adversary was written and produced, 
they the studio said we want the Klingons or something like that, and that snowballed into let's get Worf on this, and that's another way to boost ratings is to bring over a TNG character, and Worf can deal with the Klingon thing over here, and it'll all work. What's interesting is that after all that time of building up the Dominion, and we had a couple great episodes with the Dominion, mm-hmm. the, the Dominion cause everything that happens in this episode they are the reason all of this is happening yet there is not a single dominion character in this episode yeah i thought that was great i really like that so it ties into what i've been trying to maybe not so subtly hinting to all the other all the guests and yourself who have been on before this ds9 is as you said it's very interested in the cultural aspects of how the uh, the cultures are uh, interacting with each other and the dominion threat is really highlighting um, how that happens because originally the adversary, as we said in the last episode, the last season ender was going to be the changelings are on earth. Changelings are on earth. Oh no. What are we going to do? They had to drop that because of the Klingon thing. And I think that's actually better writing this way because the changelings on earth is too much of a jump where yeah, after you've shown, after you've shown the dominion and how the changelings work, this level of <laughs> paranoia that's infested or invaded the Alpha Quadrant is now causing everything to crumble. Like all the old alliances are breaking apart because everyone is very scared of the Dominion and no one knows what's actually happening. And I think the Klingons play into that really well. Yeah, I mean, Changelings on Earth is a different show. You know, it's V, basically. Yep. Um, and, I, you know, I, I bring this up all the time. Um, being aware of the limits of your environment is a big part of doing these things and going outside putting the changelings on earth would just be a like blast right through that wall and it would really make things much more difficult and i pro- think it would probably be less interesting mm-hmm. um and you, why do that when you've got you've got deep space nine you've got the wormhole you've got the gamma quadrant you've got the alpha quadrant to a certain extent why Why do you need to go outside of that stuff? There's so much stuff going on just in that world. There's no reason to, to have to go outside it and, and really open up all these variables that you don't need. Yeah. I mean, just, just the story, like you said, the, the Dominion's not even in this, and they're affecting Starfleet, they're affecting the Gamma Quadrant, they're affecting the Alpha Quadrant, they're affecting yep. uh, Bajor, Cardassia, the relationship between Starfleet and the Klingon. Like, that's... What what would putting the, the changelings on Earth do that's more interesting than that, other than the fact that it's just bigger? Right. It's, it's it's too big of a jump. Like it, it's more oh, subtle, yeah. it's more subtle writing to expose the Dominion not even really doing anything has caused a lot of problems. Uh, as you're saying, like the all the alliances are shifting, all of the things are breaking down. The Klingons have left the Kittimer Accords, which is a big deal, and I think that it's it's just. It's subtlety in a way that Star Trek doesn't always do. You know, like like it feels it feels more Star Trekky of writing to have the changelings make it to Earth immediately, mm-hmm. and then we have to deal with that. Uh, but here, if you you really get to play around in the sandbox of, oh, this is a great way to really shake up a new season. We can totally rearrange all the pieces on the board and cause new stories to come out of it. And while I was complaining about maybe Worf's thing feels redundant or his storyline feels repetitive shifting the Klingons in this way is not repetitive because we've never seen anything like this in the new 90s Star Trek anyway. Yeah, and to kind of go back to the honor thing, the way that they play it in this, which is interesting, is honor above all is basically, uh, basically means is patriotism. at this. You know, it's nationalism. Yep. nationalism. It's not, it, and it's, 
that plays into the way that they handle this stuff. And, you know, you're saying the political aspect and the difference between the Klingons and Worf is Worf believes it, you know, because he's a Klingon hipster and has been reading this stuff from books and idealizes this stuff. Uh, though he's not naive, maybe a little bit still, but not not totally naive to what it means. Um, he holds that as a real tenet that he believes in, whereas all these other Klingons, they say it a lot, but what they really mean is it's just a, it's just a cover for nationalism. Yep. Um, and it's an interesting... It's an interesting way to play that, and I think it's a really smart way to play it, especially, I mean, everything else that's going on in this episode is, is uh, if this episode had been made in 2002, that would be a much more, in- I, I shouldn't say more interesting, but like, it's, this very much feels like a post 9-11 episode of Star Trek. Yeah, it does, right? It, it came out many, many years earlier, which is really interesting. Yeah. They were very... Um, insightful i think about these kind of like uh relationships between people i i mean i guess it maybe i'd i don't know if i'd push back or i just I'll, I'll get you to clarify what you think about the klingons because to me what the klingons do here i actually get what they're doing to be pure intentions from a klingon point of view like they actually legitimately <laughs> think they're protecting the alpha quadrant with mm-hmm. what they're doing mm-hmm. and i don't it's not as opposed to the Cardassians, who I think would be telling lies and subverting it just to try to get a, a grip on the power situation. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't believe the Cardassians. I don't... I believe, like, the Klingons actually did believe the Changelings had taken over the government of Cardassia. And yeah, I, I don't think that they don't. I just yep. think that they're using... Um, it's, it's easy to read what they're doing as using their nationalism as a cover for invading another country. I mean, yeah. they mentioned the be, old ways. Worf mentions yeah. Klingon old ways a couple times in this, yeah. Not to be completely blunt, but uh instead of make Kronos think great about, again. Y- no, I was going well, yes, but I was going to say instead of think about your <laughs> honor, imagine if they just said America love it or leave it, you know? Yep. Like it, that's that's basically what it is. They're ginning up they have a real threat, but they are also ginning up the war machine behind this sense of nationalism that they need to, you know, strike first and, and to protect everybody, you know, and yeah. it's not, and it's completely realistic, you know, it, it's, it, that's, that's the, th- I mean, that's what was really fascinating watching this episode is the way, um, <clears throat> I mean, it's hard not to, to see these things through, through modern lens now when, when they're put in front of you, but like the way that they're handling the changelings versus, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, seemed like a perfect mirror to like terrorism because the way that they're uh, paranoid about it and they're jumping to conclusions about it and they're becoming very, uh, the threat is amongst you, you know, the the threat threat is amongst you, which is the, the, uh, nationalist feelings are going way up and the walls are coming up and walls are being shattered. You know, alliances are being broken. It's very realistic. Yeah. Cardassia, uh, opens this one by shutting off its borders, which is another sort of modern, Mm -hmm. uh, thing that's being discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the the Klingons. Everybody has to have a blood test now when they come in, <laughs> which you know, Christ, we're probably not that far away from that to be honest. With you. Where so many HIPAA violations in this, just all over the place. <laughs> I don't need this. Don't and need what's this and Bashir is just going along with it. He's like, yeah, man, I gotta test your blood to make sure you who you say you are. You know, you know, because everybody knows you need to give a, have a blood test to buy groceries. Yeah. You should have a 
a voter ID card, and you should have your blood tested every uh, once in a while to prove yep. that you're actually who you are. But no, I think that's very. It's a very good observation. Um, I think that the the changelings. I think what makes DS9 timeless, and I think that this episode is a good indicator of the way that the show goes moving forward, is that it it approached a sort of universal issue that like all societies and cultures have to deal with and it stuck it into star trek in a way that was not quite as tng lesson of the weeky mm-hmm. about things like it's a little bit more subtle in what they're talking about and you can see the reactions of the different cultures i i constantly mention the point but it's just to me the writing of the show is stronger because it te- it treats the cultures that we're dealing with whether it's cardassian romulan federation or whatever it treats them in very realistic ways as they're all responding to the single threat that's coming through yeah, to them. Yeah. And <clears throat> and as we mentioned before, the it's just a very interesting Dominion strategy. It's something that is more subtle than Star Trek would be, which is to you insert these seeds of paranoia and you watch your enemies sort of fight each other before you and then you just go in afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I think that the... The Klingon breaking of their pact. I, I just think the the writing of this episode is very strong. Like it moves briskly. It's got little beats everywhere, and also the Klingons breaking up with the Federation really makes sense to me. Like the Klingons would be very disturbed that the Federation didn't help them in what they were trying to do, and that they were letting Klingons yeah. die, and the Federation was not fighting. I can't right. think of a bigger insult to the Klingons than that. Even though the Federation has no reason to do it. And if the Federation had done it, they would have been in the wrong, as we learned at the end of it. And um, you know who actually... <clears throat> I think one of my favorite bits about this episode, strangely enough, was Quark. Uh, because they didn't leave him out in in the positioning of all these different people and how things are... And how they're relating to everything. He, um, he kind of ends up f- feeling like... Uh, Humphrey Bogart in Casablanca a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think Quark is written differently in this episode a little bit. Then he comes across to me as not the jokey character that he's yeah. usually written as, but he's someone who is slightly cynical and being annoyed at all the changes that are happening. It felt more, it felt more grounded and more of like, oh, this is how, I believe this is kind of like how a Ferengi would react to this. It's like, why can't we all just get along? This is bad for business. And I'm kind of annoyed that all these things are happening to me. I thought it was effective. Yeah, and he and on top of that, he does get some. They do humanize him quite a bit, um, like that scene with uh, Garrick where they're talking about root beer. I thought was yeah. pretty good. It's uh, that that scene is frequently said to be. You know, it's always on the top five Star Trek scenes. That root beer scene is one of them. Yeah, um, but even I can't remember if it's in that scene or if it's another scene. He the way that he talks about the relationship he has with, or or I should say, not the relationship he has with, but being involved or sort of peripherally involved with Starfleet versus the Cardassians versus everybody else and how yep. he's you know how he's managed to maneuver that I thought was I thought was really really good I I like that 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 uh that they gave him a little room to breathe there and it and it wasn't just jokey jokes uh quark yeah also he he apparently can I mean obviously they get giant ears but he can sense sound changes to like decibel points or something <laughs> do you think that was him or he had a little uh he had a little meter that he was carrying around i, I didn't even think that just he might ass- be doing it yeah i just assumed it was was that was a, f- a ferengi <laughs> thing because they've got gigantic ears 
Well, he'd be helpful when I'm mixing the podcasts then. <laughs> so maybe I should recruit him because I'm always getting the decibels wrong. I think that the um, Quark's... Quark is... The, the root beer scene, I think, kind of fits into this where we when we had the podcast with Darren, it was just talking about how the Federation is the... Despite the fact that the show is very critical of the Federation and Starfleet and has more episodes than any of the other series have had about questioning what Starfleet is actually doing, it's an interesting little scene because it's two aliens who are outside of the Federation, both very hopeful that the Federation wins out in everything right, that happens. Right. Um, which is maybe that's the uh, that's kind of the ethos of the show. People always cri- say that people who don't like DS9 will sometimes criticize it as being too dark for Star Trek, but it has that optimism. It has that... It fleshes out the other perspectives, but I still think it finds the human federation values to be the ones that most of these species should be going after. Um, yeah, and I, I, I don't know. I, I just I don't, I don't agree with the too dark for Star Trek thing because you know as as we've said before, it's like these guys are on these. This is the frontier, you know, and when you're looking at this from not specifically just a Starfleet centered way of looking at things. Then yeah, the the stuff is gonna get dark. So the Starfleet coming in and and taking over a place or or doing whatever they do is not always gonna be received as the most positive thing that can happen. So it's it's totally makes sense to present this world uh, as yes, believing that Starfleet's values are the values that are are important, but also having people who may not think that. Yeah, it makes to- it's total makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had one question for you about the Klingons. I guess the uh, it's they obviously spent a lot of money on the budget for the CGI of the ships and everything in this mm-hmm. one, and uh, the, it took a lot of time for the post production. Uh, I was wondering, should I take the should I take the size of the Klingon fleet for uh, more of a let's blow the budget out on an opening episode of a season? Or do you think that it makes sense that the Klingons would have this fleet? I've been trying to do a little bit of headcanon about the Klingons here. And I think it fits into the whole TNG run of Worf where the Klingons are getting um, complacent and a lot of their uh, people, there's a lot of debate about whether or not they should go back to the old ways and start fighting again. And that's the only thing Klingons are good for. And I think the fleet being so large and overrunning Cardassia kind of works for me in a way that I think people might criticize it as inconsistent and how can these cultures just take over each other so frequently Mm -hmm. um i'm saying that just because i feel like the show laid the groundwork for me to understand that the klingons have been building an army waiting for something to happen and this is that thing that they're they've been waiting for and they're going to do it and even though cardassia is being overrun because its political hierarchy is in disarray uh i like the fact that they made the klingon fleet so impressive and was able to do things it makes sense with the klingons i guess yeah i are they um is there reason to believe that they wouldn't have a fleet like this no it's just, i think it's more remember in the dice cast we were like <clears throat> it was only 20 ships you know like it's like it was oh, like a budget right. limitation where we we're like yeah. really they lost 20 ships and they, they think it's a problem this is more i i i think it makes sense beyond a sort of like let's show off our new budget for the season by saying that the klingons have this many ships and are willing to do stuff with them yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, they mixed I mean, in the would... old TOS ships too, which was a nice touch. I enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, I always, I always like that, and it, um, I, it always, it kind of helped me because I could never remember the in my head. I only remember the uh, 
the bird of prey from the movie and the bird of prey from the sh- original show. Yeah, it's right. that third one that's the really boring looking one that I always forget about. It's and like I the, think the it's, circle on the end of the long neck with the two. Is that the one you're talking about? Uh, the one that has like the front of it looks like a tuning fork. Right. So it's like yes, very yeah. flat in like a like a more teal green color. Sure. I think that's the the new, that's the TNG the new TNG Klingon ship. Is that one? Yeah. Yeah, I, I never really liked that ship. Uh, and so I always forget about it, that it's a Klingon one. So to see all of them there at the same time, it's like, oh, right, they have multi, they have lots of different ships. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense that uh, that, that culture especially would be, uh, wouldn't just be sitting on their hands. Yeah. Um, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I would assume that a large part of their uh, industry revolves around war. So yeah. <laughs> um, it makes sense that they would keep building ships and stuff. Uh, you know what would be would be interesting though. Obviously, you know this this, this is sort of a small thing to really do in, in a show like this. But uh, um, I think it was World War One. Um, one of the things that started ratcheting up the tension between countries is that I think I, I'm probably fucking this up, but I think it was Germany started building ships. And so everybody else saw that Germany was building ships, and they were like, "Oh shit, we sh- yep. we should probably also start building ships." Like it was one of those things where they saw movement, even though it wasn't they weren't doing anything with these ships yet, but they were they were being built, and that was like the signal that went up to su- to a certain extent that oh maybe we need to be prepared for this. Yeah, it's like um, um, it's like Cold War spending too. The exactly, Soviets and the exactly, Soviets yeah. and the U.S. could convince each other to increase spending by just spending somewhere and then the other country would yes. go i need to start spending there as well exactly uh, yeah. so that's why the, the soviets got burnt out on their economics um let's see uh, klingons martok new klingon Kling, uh, general martok uh played by jg hertzler i think is his name um i like martok a lot i think he's good i like gowron too even though gowron is potentially a little bit too cheesy um he's I, got I, the weirdest looking head He's got, he's got he's got weird head and weird eyes and his way of talking is very over the top but I I like the two of them and I think the takeaway is just like I wasn't even aware of it but it was nice to get the Klingons back in the show yeah. in a substantial way. Yeah, they definitely um you know, I think a one problem I've noticed with a lot of uh subsequent Star Trek uh alien species is they all try to play it sort of the same way where it's like um kind of close to the vest and sort of limited in 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 how big they go like the cardassians fairly fairly uh subdued romulans fairly subdued uh the the changelings fairly subdued. subdued The even the Jem Hadar, they're they're brutish, but I mean, like as far as the way that they act generally, it's not really you know that interesting. Yeah. Um. So when you inject the Klingons in, the Klingons are like you know the party just got here, and it's yes, yeah. it, it is uh you can there's a certain sense of tension that arises just from the fact that there are more than one Klingon sitting together in a room right. <laughs> that, you, that you don't get from any of the other species. Like, yeah, there's a, bunch, there's a couple Cardassians over there. Who gives a shit? Ah, oh, there's a couple Romulans over there. Oh, they're probably scheming about something. You get, like, three Klingons in a bar, you know some shit's going to go down at some point. Yeah. Yep. No, that's, that's a good point. They, um, 
just their sheer presence is different uh, than the rest of the other aliens that have been around this. And even to the um, the, the point here where the Quark is concerned because the bar is too quiet because Klingons are there. Yeah, exactly. Like, I uh, feel like they're the species that when they walk in, they just start flicking everybody in the nuts. Yes. They're, they're kicking down sandcastles as they're strolling along yeah. the beach in their Klingon, <laughs> their Klingon bathing suits. Um, and also, I really enjoyed um, uh, the Odo... Klingon uh, interactions. I thought those were good. Because yeah, his, his scene I, I liked, with Worf is great too. Uh, the yeah. scene where he sort of yells at him. But yeah, when he when he uh, when he insults, he, when he talks to the three Klingons who are, have attacked or are about to attack <clears throat> Garrick, is a good uh, relationship between them. Yeah, I like that stuff. I was kind of grossed out by Odo's uh, coffee thing, though. <laughs> that was re- that was really weird. I don't know if I don't know if that was a specific that we really needed to learn about. <laughs> well, it's the same it's the same principle as the changeling who drew blood, uh, right? It's that is that idea, right? I mean, is that just are they just trying to retcon that into something they can do? I don't know. It was just a <laughs> like if, if I, I was he was he he was with Garrick, right? I think. Yep. Yep. He's with Garrick. Garrick. Garrick uh, speaking of being restrained, reacted very. Uh, normally to someone being like yes i'm actually not drinking a cup of coffee i uh this is part of my body and i'm just drinking part of my body yeah when odo goes like i find this uh makes it more i I find it's easier on people so that i can share the meal with them garrick should have just been gone you don't have to do that with me um yeah (laughs) i'm I'm fine with it the uh odo's I would love to see him do that in front of O'Brien. Like if you if you if he explains that to O'Brien, I feel like it's a very different conversation. <laughs> the the episode has a lot of little character scenes like that. Like Odo's Odo Odo's scenes are pretty much all that. He doesn't have a lot that really weighs in on the plot, but he's got that scene with Garrick. He's got the scene where he talks to Worf. He's got the scene with Bashir at the very end. Mm-hmm. Um which is the great line about if a Klingon manages to actually kill me, I hope I get an opera about it instead of a song. Yeah, that was great. Um yeah, I, I I think it's just has, and he's got a, he's got that scene with Quark where he stops Quark outside of the door, and Quark has got the gun, or he thinks he's got the disruptor, and they have that little scene together. Is uh, there is there is there a joke, like a visual joke that works more often than opening something up and having a note left a note to yeah. explain why the thing that you want is not there? <laughs> it works every time. It worked every single time for Bugs Bunny, so it has to continue yeah. on here. The, the only thing my favorite I'd... my f- sorry not to go off on a tangent my favorite is is in the Simpsons where uh, uh, Homer has an emer- has an emergency donut yes inside cut out of the middle that he keeps in the cut out middle of the uh, manual for the uh, nuclear you know, <laughs> thing he works on and he opens it and the thing says this is future Homer this is past Homer I owe future Homer one uh, one replacement donut <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> The uh, the only thing about the Quark and Odo scene, I saw it online, and now I just can't stop thinking about it uh, because we've seen this happen multiple times. Quark locks up his bar when he's not in it. Mm-hmm. How do locks work in a world that has transporters in them? I I don't know. <laughs> do you really want to have this conversation? <laughs> no, I don't, and I never actually even thought about it until I read that, and now I'm just like... Jesus, like it, that is ridiculous. Like, why would he, why would he lock up the thing? I, I don't well, want to go down that might, path. You know, the locks might have some sort of like uh, locking field. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I'm not going to get like stuck that. with it. You know, if you want to go down that road, though, I do have an, a question, a similar question, and it's more of just amusing. Um, 
so when when uh, Cassidy comes over for dinner, right, and he's got all this stuff out, she's like, oh, you did all this for me? And we've talked in the past about, like, why do you compliment someone's cooking when you have replicators? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> do you think that there is a subset of people? So are, are the replicators the future version of, like, the way people relate to microwaves? Where it's like, I don't really cook, but I just make stuff in a microwave. So yeah. what I mean is, are there people who use replicators to replicate entire finished meals? And are there people who use replicators to replicate ingredients of meals? Oh, interesting. So you have to do the, the actual work behind yeah. it. So they're still doing the cooking. They're just replicating the ingredients. That way, I could see you still uh, um, complimenting someone's cooking. And is there like a mid-ground where it's like uh, <clears throat> the Blue Apron version of replicators where it's like you don't... You're still putting it together yourself, but you're replicating exactly how much you need. Right. I would imagine so. I, I can only assume they're going to cover this in the next season of Discovery. <laughs> I think that the uh, someone, someone's someone been pushing back, or a couple people have been pushing back about the... I guess in this universe, replicators, right? You, you'd value the real thing over replicated stuff, and they, they seem to do that. So, uh, like how Cisco gives her a silk scarf... Or something, right? You have, to, right. you have to assume it's real, and he didn't just replicate it, and that's all the meaning. It, what, it, what it's more disturbing to me in that it's removed functionality from things. It's like it only matters where you got something, as opposed mm. to how functionally nice it is, which is a very weird way for them to look at uh, material goods. Sort of. It well, makes honestly, sense. I don't think it's that far off. To be honest with you, that's yeah, um, true. Like, I I know uh, personally when it comes to media. And stuff. I still prefer hard media over right. streaming because it's just so it's just too easy now. Like one one of the things I used to love is you know finding new music and digging up CDs and stores and stuff. But then as soon as Spotify came along, it was like, well, I now have access to every single song ever written in human history. Yep. And so there's no fun behind it anymore. So then it's all so readily available. So that's why I ended up starting buying records. Is because records are much more uh, physical, a, a physical representation of that art that uh, is a little bit more, just more tactical, tactile, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's a different feel. And I think that's probably extends to the way things ended up in, in this universe. You know, it's funny about uh, TOS, you know, for being, quote unquote, the great progressive series of the 60s is really dated in a lot of ways. And when you look back on it, like basically there's an episode where Kirk says women can't be captains because they're too irrational. <laughs> and then there's mm. a, you know, and then there's like the, the light racism that they sprinkle on top of everything. But well, there was also that is that the same episode where he becomes a woman? Yes, and that he is can't that be a captain because she's yeah. too irrational. <laughs> <laughs> and he starts just doing an incredibly stereotypical woman, uh, like crazy woman thing. Yeah. But, yep. but the. What was funny when we were watching it was, as we were watching it, I thought it was very silly that TOS had this great ethos of um, Kirk would constantly think that planets that had it too easy were doing it wrong. Like, he would he would say, like, you can't be happy in this kind of perfect utopia uh, because humanity comes from struggling against your problems. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like Spotify is your James T. Kirk moment there, where you, yeah, you're realizing that this is just, you need a little bit of work to make the things sweet for you. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it, it, anything like that. Same with movies. Like I, streaming is great, but I do still enjoy 
owning I haven't gone so far as to get into VHS tapes again like I think that's a that's a bridge too far because I also <laughs> like things I also like the quality level of, of modern representations of stuff uh, although VHS is fun for certain things but um, horror movies are awesome on VHS yep. but um, but yeah there, there's yeah it, it when when stuff is sometimes when things are too easy it just takes takes some of the enjoyment out of it, I think. And I mean, you know, it's it, it's working hard for stuff is the cliche is, you know, you work hard for it. It's going to be that much better when you get it and all that kind of stuff. And that is true to a certain extent. Just like here, the Federation could have had a uh, whole alliance going <laughs> nice, against... N- nice segue. Going against the Dominion, but they had to make things difficult for themselves with fighting. So we're going to take a break. I'm going to play an audio clip. Me and Claire are going to come back. We'll read some patron thoughts. There's a lot of them, and then we're going to give our own thoughts, and then we're going to call it a day. That thing, that's that. I, that made me sound really old, didn't it? Might I trouble you for a glass of canard? Help yourself. It's on the house. Well, how uncharacteristically generous of you. I'm in an uncharacteristic mood. Besides, I got 80 cases of this stuff sitting in my stockroom. And the way things are going, I'll never unload another bottle, unless it's to you. Now, thoughtless of me not to consider the effect the destruction of my home world would have on your business. These must be trying times for you. Be brave. I should have listened to my cousin, Gala. He said to me, Quark, I got one word for you, weapons. No one ever went broke selling weapons. But did I take his advice? No. And why not? Because I'm a people person. I like interacting with my customers like you and I are doing right now. Talking to each other, getting to know one another. I can see the attraction for you. But when you're dealing in weapons, buyers aren't interested in casual conversation. They just want their merchandise, no questions asked. So impersonal. Your charms would be wasted. Exactly. So now, Gale owns his own moon. And I'm staring into the abyss. And the worst part of it is, my only hope for salvation is the Federation. I know precisely how you feel. I want you to try something for me. Take a sip of this. What is it? A human drink. It's called root beer. I don't know. Come on. Aren't you just a little bit curious? (sighs) What do you think? It's vile. I know. It's so bubbly and cloying and happy. Just like the Federation. But you know what's really frightening? If you drink enough of it, you begin to like it. It's insidious. Just like the Federation. Do you think they'll be able to save us? I hope so. All right. So, patron thoughts. If you guys support the show on patreon.com slash thepenskyfile, you get to leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes, and we read and react to them. Way of the Warrior, Nick Sergi says, I sometimes look for an old Trek movie to watch, and then I find myself picking this feature-length episode instead. 
This is the good stuff. Lots of nuance, a great story emboldened by the changing political climate of the Alpha Quadrant. It's amazing when you think the Dominion, who is well-equipped to fight, would rather not fight at all and rather make it so that two of their enemies fight each other and that, uh, that this episode makes so much sense. Whereas the Borg relied on assimilation of technology and removing your very free will to win, the Dominion used paranoia to set up their endgame, often finding ways to use their enemy's own fear against them. And it comes to a head where the Klingons going after the Cardassians and that terrible choice that forced the Federation to then turn against the Klingons. Oh, and Sisko being measured for a new suit so Garrett could get wind of the invasion so Dukat could be warned about without the Federation talking to him was so perfectly played. Even the score seems better in this episode and using some of the old themes from Generation soundtrack to better effect when the Defiant rescues Dukat. I love this episode top to bottom. Um, wow, that's a that's an astute pickup about the Generations music. Yeah, I, I don't notice music. Uh, I notice the intro theme changed, and that's about it. I, I don't really, I never, unless music blows me away, I never really notice it. Yeah. Um, if it's bad, I notice it, and if it's really good, I notice it, but not if it's just functional. Yeah, I we uh, we forgot we didn't mention that that uh, the the tailoring scene. I thought that was good. Yeah, it is good. Um, it's. I, I was surprised. It was a little bit easy, maybe, would be my criticism. Yeah. I mean, it makes yeah. sense, but it's like it, it felt like a lot of setup for a very easy outcome. Uh, but I don't have any real problems with it. There was yeah, something I, mean, I wanted you wanna, to say. Well, I was just going to say, uh, <clears throat> if you want to get really picky about it, why does Ducat believe him? Right, because he hates him. Yeah. Yeah, but whatever. Um there was something I wanted to say here. Is the old oh right? According to a listener, Kyle, I don't have this on my Netflix Clay because we're American, I think, and maybe it's on overseas thing. But listener Kyle has a uh, function when he goes to a show on Netflix. It tells him like the top most popular episodes of that oh, show. No kidding. And huh. this episode is the most streamed on Netflix for DS9. Really? That's yeah. interesting. I mean, I guess that makes sense. It makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, because everyone everyone's telling their friends you got to start with episode the first episode of season four, and then they do, and they're like, "Oh, that's pretty good," and then they just never watch the rest of it. You know what's after it is um, the Q episode from season one, which is terrible. So I'm in, really? I'm inclined to believe it's TNG fans who don't watch DS9 watch yeah. the TNG character episodes. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Um, but this is this is I mean this is the. Uh, you know, we talked about like the new pilot type thing. This episode does make a lot of sense to fit that way. Uh, Termi says, Way of the Warrior, during DS9's original run, I stopped watching the show in the first season after that horrible episode in which Quirk had to play the game. I distinctly remember telling my brother, this shit is dumb, I'm out. When I found out Mm -hmm. Worf was going to be on the show, I decided to give the show another chance. By the end of DS9's original run, the show had become my favorite Trek show, which is tough because I love TNG. The reasons are too numerous to get into, but for me, even on rewatch, this is when the show truly came to life. Stephen Cobb says, Way of the Warrior. Garrick has some great lines in this. The scene of Garrick and Quark discussing root beer was amazing and really emphasized that their perspective was alien to that of the Federation. I definitely noticed the reactions of Dax to Worf and how she seemed to be checking him out, sizing him up in a fairly subtle way, battleth battle aside. Definitely some good acting on her part, for once. Check out how she looks at Worf when she and Kira are in costume at the bar. Um, Quark, yeah, uh, I guess that's... I guess I'm, I... I think I... Confused. Relayed that incorrectly. Yeah, there's... There was definitely some weird thing going on with with Worf and and Dax, not really Worf and Kira. Do you know what? Um, I'm going to try to find it here. Do you know? They don't say it in the show, but it was written into the script. Do you know what? Uh, they have that scene where they meet each other, and Dax says something in Klingon to Worf, who says, "Yes, I suppose that's right." Kind of awkwardly. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to know what she says to him in English? Yes. 
uh, Dax's quip is, yeah, but I'm a lot better looking than he was. So it ties into your your awkward flirty thing. There is a thing that develops between Dax and uh, Worf. Oh, that's nice. That's fun. Uh, And the other, let's see. There's a bunch of them. Drex's insult to Odo. Do you remember that when Garrick says... uh, I was just going to say, but poor Bashir. He's just forever the bachelor. <laughs> He's going to become an incel, right? <coughs> oh, and uh, that'll, be, that'll, be our, that'll be our tie-in. Do uh, you remember the scene where Odo is talking to the Klingons and Garrick says, I don't believe that Odo has a mother? Uh, yes. The yeah. thing Kling- the Klingon had said to him was, does your mother allow you to talk to adult men? Which is a very awkward line, I think. Yeah, I just assumed he was telling him to go fuck his mother. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> that would have been a better thing. Yeah. Uh, let's keep moving. Patron thoughts. Joint Mango. The way of the warrior. Klingons running around DS9 look silly as geese. And that blue bathrobe Worf is wearing at the end. Wow. Where can I get one of those? How about, forget that. How about that awesome... African garb that they put uh, Cisco in for his yes. uh, di- that was that was a, that was straight out of 1995. <laughs> the, the the future via 1995, I can tell you that. I much. thought they got it from Heart Conditions bar scene. Yeah, there. that was that was a good place to get that sort of costuming. Uh, that's a plug for our real ripe and real rotten. Check that out. Uh, Holly McLaughlin says, "Where the warrior? Very enjoyable, and I appreciate how they reintroduced Worf, which seems realistic and credible. Even so, a lot of it feels off. A group of Klingon warriors should have beaten the shit out of a station full of non-Klingons. And despite his little we don't forget or forgive' line, Garon makes peace with the Federation way too easily. It feels like a bridge to the next arc episode, which of course is necessary, but probably wouldn't feel so much like it. I disagree about taking over the station, I think. I do agree that Gowron doesn't have a really great reason to stop attacking them. Mm-hmm. Um, Worf gives him the line about how Kalos said that you can't risk the Empire over one fight, and that kind of convinces him. I, I feel there should have been just a little bit more to make Gowron want to retreat or step back or something. Yeah, that's fair. What do you think about the station defending itself? Is that re- absurd, or does that make sense? Um, With its photon torpedoes, it just endlessly blast out in the yeah. space. Uh, that was that was fine. I didn't mind that. <clears throat> I thought that was I, well. So, uh, I I think, and this is a I probably mentioned this before, but it's a, it's a problem that happens in sequels a lot, and it's uh, also something that happens in sh- in TV shows because you only get so much time and you got to keep things moving. But like. Uh, <clears throat> If if there if there's if they had done this episode and there was one Klingon ship, it would have been the most powerful Klingon ship that anyone's ever seen. Yeah. And there's no way that Deep Space Nine can defend against a Klingon bird of prey. Yep. But since there's like 250 of them, you they can basically yeah. yeah you can throw a pillow at them and they explode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just I think the, the maybe the most inconsistent thing is like how much of a beating can the station get when one photon blows up. Basically every single Klingon ship that's out yeah, there. Yeah. Um, and not to mention the fact, like two scenes earlier, when the Defiant just like shows up and and blows up two two Klingon ships without yeah. any shields up. Yep. Yeah. Like what? So when is this armor shit? That's not an. Uh, has there ever been a ship that's like, no, our armor is strong enough that we can. <laughs> we don't even need shields. <laughs> It feels like it's a it's a like a last minute writers room thing. They're like, "Fuck, we wrote the shields were down." They're like, "Give, give them some armor." <laughs> yeah, it's got, they they uh, they they leveled up in bet- after their last quest, so now they have uh, <laughs> improved armor and shields. I think it's called alabative. I think is what they call it. But yeah, it, it's totally made up. I think that you know it, it's one of those things. The station being attacked makes more sense. If Gowron has one line that's like, "Don't destroy the station. We need it." For ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. I, I I feel the station is important enough where 
people attacking it should be cautious not to destroy it. And that would that would make yeah. it more realistic to me. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Kyle Barrett says, The Way of the Warrior. Yep, it's good. My favorite thing about this episode is that, as far as we currently know, the Dominion don't make an appearance in the episode, and everything is put into motion by mere paranoia of them rather than straightforward plotting and conflict with the Dominion, like TNG did with the Borg. Garrick and Quark's little discussion is amazing and sheds light not on only not only on what the other races think of the Federation on the fact that root beer is indeed horrible. Also, <laughs> the new revamped opening credit sequence debuts with this episode. Do you prefer the old version or the new version? I prefer the old. Clay didn't watch it, so he can't comment. But um, it would have like been root great. Beer. Yeah, it would have been great if that scene was like Doctor Pepper instead. Right, like, Doctor Pepper. That's disgusting. Doctor Thunder, which is the uh, off-brand <laughs> name for Doctor Pepper. Um, I did not like root beer when I was younger, but I've grown to, I don't drink a lot of soda, but I, I sort of like root beer. And there's like a whole industry of craft root beer at this point where you can get really mm. fancy root beer. I like it cause I don't drink caffeine and most root beer is, is non-caffeinated. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good <clears throat> not point. that it matters cause it still has like a pound and a half of sugar in it, but it's, uh, it's, you just have to, you've, you you want to minimize the ways of damage that you can do to yourself with yeah. sugar water. And Although I will say. Uh, if you're looking to make some crock pot pulled pork, just throw your pork in there. Yeah, throw your pork in there, cover it with some root beer, and just, you know, set it and forget it. You're good to go. <laughs> Jamie Crow says, The Way of the Warrior. I wasn't sure how I was feeling about another TNG character being brought in to boost the show, just when the show and its characters were really starting to come into their own. But I have to admit, I felt pretty hyped when they did the full body camera pan to reveal Worf. Even I, even if I just felt kind of sorry for him by the end of the episode, probably the best action scene seen in a Trek show up to this point, and Odo responding to Quark's insistence on defending his bar with, you're going to hit them with a box, was pure gold. Do you feel bad for Worf by the end of this episode, Clay? Yeah, not any more than I usually do, as far as, yeah. like, his cultural issues. I feel... I, I felt a weird sadness... Just as like the bias of a TNG fan, where TNG is always going to be my Star Trek, even though I think the DS9 right. is a better show. Right. But I, I feel like his, his, all of his conversations where he's like, those were the good years, and I can't ever go back to that, is um, it affects me on some level more than I think it should, just because he's a made-up character. But it, it is kind of like a when he says it, you kind of flash back to TNG and go like, oh, those were good times. I kind of remember those times. I'll tell you, the thing that does bother me to this day, and I don't know why. It's just like one of those things where the the version that you recognize is the version that you prefer. I don't like him in red. It really weirds oh, me out. Oh wow, I, I like the red. I think he looks. I think he looks much nicer. I was a little bit. I think the yellow is an ugly color. I think is my. Yeah, problem. I mean that's 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 totally fair. But I mean, like when I think of Worf, I yeah. think of yellow, and it's strange to me to see him in the first season of TNG in red and now to see him in red here. It's very off-putting. I'm not sure why. It's like, it's it's kind of like, uh, and I know this is different because he actually wore this quite a bit in TOS for some reason, but it's like anytime Kirk shows up in that weird, like, green sarong thing. Yeah, his, his green sweater that he yeah, wraps around himself. Yeah, it's like, that doesn't feel, like, it's not the right uniform. It, it these These characters are so defined by their color palettes yeah that uh seeing them in the wrong color palette really throws me off and 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 it takes a it takes a while for me to get used to it i've gotten more than one comment from people saying that they thought that the ds9 version of wharf is the version that they think of so maybe by the end of this red will be wharf's color for you i guess yeah probably not but we'll see (laughs) i like the fact that he shows up in his original tng uniform 
and they yeah, change I, it. Yeah, I like that too. The uh, the you know the only one who didn't bother me when they changed was uh, Deanna Troy. Um, into, I think her because uniform. her I think her original uniform was kind of ridiculous. So. Yes, yeah, certainly less cleavage uh, moving yes. forward. She she went through her teal dress to her like purple dress to her uniform. Uh, Christian Pouch says, "Where the warrior? Holy shit! I remember when this episode first aired and being blown away by it, and I still am even today. No Jem Hadar, no problem. We see how much chaos the Dominion can cause without firing a single shot themselves. This wouldn't be possible without all the setup that has come before it, like the fall of the Obsidian Order, showing again how well DS9 creates setup to use uh, uses setup to create great stories. Not to mention all the great characters. Worf is a joy. Dukat and Garrick are excellent as always, and we meet a new character, Martok." Possibly the greatest Klingon character ever. And to top it all off, some mind-blowing action, elevating what Star Trek can do in terms of action, unlike any other episode before it. Easily a top five DS9 episode, and in my opinion, a top five episode in all of Star Trek. You know, I really liked the uh, uh, the torpedo cam that they were doing uh, yeah. during the, the battle at the end there, where there, it was like the camera was on the torpedo going through. That was pretty cool. Yeah, the spinning uh, spinning wheel. Andrew Kerlog says, Way of the Warrior, the best two-parter in Star Trek history, even beating out Best of Both Worlds due to its much more coherent and consistent parts. Everyone is comfortable in their roles. The addition of Worf is forced, but fits well within the greater narrative. Once again, Worf chooses his personal ethics over Klingon honor, and it feels right. For the first time in the next-gen Star Trek era, we get the Federation and Klingon Empire as enemies and not friends, and it feels great. It's a good point. Um, even on TOS, you never really saw them as adversaries. They were just kind of like annoying people in the background. Um, when they have episodes like Trouble with Tribbles where Klingon is doing that kind of stuff. You know what? I think I just figured it out. I, I, you know why this episode is the most watched episode of Deep Space Nine on Netflix? What's that? Because it's the only episode that the people who made Discovery watched. Oh, there you go. They got enough inspiration from one episode. And they're like, we know how to do this. This is it. Yeah, because it, it's like, uh, or, or, you know, I should, you know, let me rephrase that actually. Uh, more realistically, they probably, because this is how they make things now, uh, they probably looked at the most watched episodes of Star Trek <laughs> and saw that this was like number one or number two or something. And they were like, well, why is that? And then they broke it down and like, okay, so let's see. <clears throat> the Klingons uh, are, there's a war with the Klingons. And uh, there's a scene where uh, the main character has to make a decision on whether or not to fire on the Klingons and start a war or not. Yep. Uh, I think the rest of it pretty much writes itself. <laughs> you know, it's a good observation. It's part, you're partially joking, but there's a we had, we had talked before about uh, in a couple couple episodes ago. I forget which one it was, but just being like bathing yourself in early '90s TV is like a prerequisite to sort of understanding the show later on. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many mediocre episodes, but you really get like a sense for the characters and everything, and. I think that it's just that kind of the the what's happening here in DS9 means something because we've had 75 episodes leading up to it. You know what I mean? Right, right. Discovery didn't have that, but Discovery needed to write itself in a different way. I'm not going to go off on Discovery tangent, but it's more to talk about DS9 has been living with these characters for so long that the events of this episode feel like they mean something to everybody. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Matthew Ross says, Way of the Warrior, a fantastic announcement that the war is in the Alpha Quadrant and at the station's door. I thought the introduction of Worf was handled in a smooth way to transition him onto the station. The entire ensemble from beginning throughout makes the show believable, prepping for an invasion on several fronts to the realization that there are bigger issues in their defenses and whom their allies really are. Cardassia is a ripe target with its consistent issues and loss of its terror, terror arm. 
The best description of the Federation via root beer is stated here in how the Federation is more of an amoeba than a governing body. I totally forget about the station attack being in an extra long episode, but it's amazing to see. By the way, where'd they store the Defiant? And luckily the Klingons pulled out. You think the six starships would have taken that armada on? Probably not. Well done and hooked you into wanting more episodes. This is what I believe people think of when they mention DS9. I was yeah. also a little bit let down. There was only six starships. That yeah, came to I didn't. The rescue. I didn't think about that at the time. But yeah, there was like two hundred Klingon ships, and then just like five. Yeah, five galaxy class cruisers showed up. And in in opposition to the diversity of the Klingon fleet, they were all just copy pastes of the same ship. I think just like floating next to each other. Yes. So it was a little bit lazy looking. At least, at least the, it, I, there. I think there might have been two different ones, but yeah, they were definitely just kind of uh, you know copy pastes of the two different designs. Last comment, Paul Evans says, Way of the Warrior, a dose of new blood into DS9. All the posturing of the major powers is boiling up to mixed metaphors. In TNG, we get Riker's beard. In DS9, we get Sisko's beard and Worf's beard. And Sisko's shaved head. It is a relief to see Worf the hardened warrior stand on his own rather than having the Worf effect in play and making him look weak. As a second pilot, it does its job well and sets the tone for the series going forwards on the whole. War is near, political intrigue extends beyond Bajor and Cardassia, and the command staff are not playing hopscotch with an alien of the week anymore. It's a good point. I love, I, uh, this, Cisco looks great with a shaved head, too. We didn't talk about it, but it's, it's like, it's such a, scenes where he is sitting, yelling at a Klingon ambassador feel much more powerful when he has a shaved head for some reason like if he just has a little little bit of hair on his head for some reason it doesn't strike me as quite the same he he he's the character is moving into that sort of hardened battle war captain and his look here suits that do you think there's like production art somewhere of all the different hairstyles they tried before they decided to shave his head (laughs) so there's one that's like the blade one where it's like half shaven up into like a point <clears throat> There's one that's like lightning bolts on the sideburns. It's like when you're making a um, a Skyrim character or something at the yeah. very start of a game, and you're just kind of <laughs> flipping between the haircuts, and some of them are really goofy. That's pretty much what I'd imagine. It was, that's it. The, it came down to bald or blue mohawk. <laughs> Guys, thank you very much for commenting. Patrons, thank you for supporting the show. Uh, Clay, what are you going to give this one on our one to five scale? Um, I think I'm going to give this one a five. Yeah, I'm the same. It's a five for me. It's a it's a very important episode. And you know why? Because when they took the Defiant out, they didn't take every single person who's in the credits on the Defiant with them. I thought they had learned something. The time on the Defiant is not any bit, not, no bit of it is travel. If it is travel, yes. it's characters talking about stuff, but it's not them talking about how long it's going to take for them to yes. get somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's good. That's a development that's positive for the show. And the other Defiant scenes are them actually either getting in a fight or having to deal with something. And that's how you should properly use the Defiant. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it a five. I think it's a very well-written episode. I think it's a very strong script. It, ke- it keeps things moving. It balances all of the characters on the show. Like, you get a sense of everybody on the show and what they're about in this sort of reboot of a pilot. It mixes up the politics of things. Cardassia is not the same. The Klingons are not the same. There's this whole thing that we can build off of here. The action scenes are great. Cisco's really great. I think this is maybe one of Avery Brooks's best performances uh, in some way. And it's a great little final scene. It's good to see Worf on the show. It's good to have him hang out. You get the uh, old man respect for Worf, I guess, which I don't think the show is lacking, but it brings on someone like that. And you're just like, all right, things are different now. Yeah, you know, I think... One of the things that I've been really enjoying about this show so far is how they don't seem timid in 
shifting their status quo. Um, and I mean that comes with the the serialization and stuff. But like, the they've they've done over the course of four seasons, they've you know made so many changes to the status quo of, of the relationship between the Federation and all you know uh, internally and externally with other groups and stuff. And like they just instead of exp- you know if you have a a, a plate that is the Star Wars Star excuse me Star Trek universe. And uh, instead of expanding the plate, they just hit it with a hammer. Right. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I give them a lot of credit for that because on, on TV shows, that's not easy to do. Yeah. Yep. No, I'd agree. It's, um, especially when you compare it to its predecessors, it is constantly changing, um, which was maybe frustrating back then for people potentially. But now it's kind of a... Once we've watched all the TNG episodes, it's more of a breath of fresh air for the series. Yeah. And... Honestly, that is why DS9 to me is the pinnacle of Star Trek is because it did something with it. Like all the shows after this are kind of a regression on some level. Yeah. And this is the show pushing itself or the franchise pushing itself in a way that's kind of different. So me and Clay are both going to give fives. Are we in the time frame where this is the only Trek show that's on? No, Voyager's on at this oh, point. Oh, Voyager well. is on. Okay, because I was wondering if they like saw their opening and they're like, we're the only thing going. Now's our chance to just completely fuck everything up and no, for, the, in- for the better. What's interesting is it existed on its own during that horrible stretch of the last season where oh, I think really? there, was, there was pressure to make it more Star Trek-y. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And now that Voyager is the flagship of the thing because it's a spaceship and they can go Oof. places. Um, way, to, way to bet on the wrong horse. Yes, <laughs> so DS9... Uh, Branches out a little bit more now that it is the black sheep of the family, or it gets it gets rolled back. Fives from both of us. I think it's a great episode, uh, and it'll be very interesting. We have the visitor coming up next, which is also uh, we have um, you and I are going to a very special oh, right. movie screening on Thursday. Yes, yeah. You want to talk at, about that? Sure. Um, at the planetarium at the Museum of Science in Boston, they are doing all summer. They've been doing. Um, uh, sci-fi movies once a month, I think. And this Thursday, they are doing a double feature of The Wrath of Khan and First Contact, which they'll be playing in the planetarium. I don't know how they're going to do that, what it's going to look like. I I think it's going to be cool. Uh, <laughs> I hope it's going to be cool. Um, I kind of, in my head, I have like, you know, there's the place where the movie's playing, and then the rest of it is just like the stars that they can project, yeah. which would be pretty cool. Yep. Um, and I think, I think we're going to, probably do a, a short episode to to cover our experience doing that is that the plan yeah we could uh, we can try a live stream i tried oh, a live yeah. stream the other day but we'll, it, uh, there's a, a 50 50 coin flip it's if, if we can get the live stream working we'll do a live stream and let you guys know when it happens otherwise it'll be a just a podcast episode yeah and i think that's this should be pretty cool and it will we will we will finally be able to tell you which is the best star trek movie when they go head to head inside Above the, our heads. The yes. Thunderdome of the Planetarium <laughs> at the Museum of Science. I'm looking forward to it. It's, uh, it's, it'll be interesting to see those two on the big screen, uh, sort of the curved big screen, I guess you could say. Yeah. And so look forward to that episode or that live stream. I'll let you guys know. We are going to it Thursday, which is the day that this is coming out. So uh, it'll be fresh in your minds. That's about it. Check out all the social media links, Facebook, Twitter, Discord, all that stuff. Go to the Discord if you want to talk to people. You can go to patreon.com slash thepenskypal if you want to support the show. You support Real Ripe, Real Rotten, which is our other podcast where we talk about the highs and lows of movie actors and directors. 
And other than that, we've got The Visitor coming up, and then we've got Hippocratic Oath is after that. This is a very, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. It's a strong stretch of episodes for season four. Anyway, Clay, I don't need to thank you for coming on because you're just going to be here for the foreseeable future. You're never allowed to leave. Well, let's and- not dispense with the formality. <laughs> What is that Bane says? Uh, what is that Bane line? God damn it. And you think this gives you power over me? <laughs> no. That no, one? it's uh, I'm crashing this plane with no survivors. No, it's the... Um, what the hell does he say? Don't stand on circum ceremony here? Is that what he says? Don't stand on ceremony here, Mr. Wayne. It would be very painful for you. <laughs> Did you not understand what he was talking about when you first saw that movie? When he says that line, it would be very painful for you? Uh, no, I got it. Yeah, you got I it. Just, yeah, assumed it means if you did that, he was gonna, you know, punch yeah, I, his face I, in. I remember people being very confused by what he, why he was saying that because they cut it where it would be very painful, and he says, "You're a big guy," and he says, "For you." Yeah, um, it's you know, uh, it's much. I that's a bad scene. Can, yeah, when we if, do when we do Batman Rise or Dark Knight Rises, I want to talk about how that plane hijacking scene has so much potential and it yeah. squanders it virtually in every every shot. No, that that first scene is like uh, visually it's it's amazing, but the content of that scene is absolute garbage. Like Yeah. They go from nothing to what's his name? Littlefinger just saying out of nowhere, <laughs> tell me about Maine, tell me about Bane, tell me why he wears the mask. Like what the yeah. fuck is that shit? Like yep. you don't even know who this Bane person is. What uh, relationship he has to anything that's going on. I mean, it's not, not, the next half hour. This is going to be a two-hour podcast. The next half hour is just going to be about Batman: Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> but like, how do you go from arguably the greatest villain introduction scene in the history of superhero movies in the Dark Knight to uh, oh yeah, Bane? What? Tell me why he wears a mask. It's just yeah. so. It's so so much of a letdown. And the dialogue in that scene is terrible. A yeah, lot of the dialogue really in that movie is not very good. I, yeah. you know, I really like Chris Nolan movies, but a lot of his dialogue is not good. I'm I'm always struck by you don't see them throw anyone out of the plane, and Bane says it as if it had actually happened in front of you. Yeah, I, like that's the thing that's kind of confusing is because like he he puts the gun by the guy's head and he fires the gun. But I don't know if he's shooting out the plane to scare he's shooting the guy. Out the, he, th- that's what I'm understanding. He doesn't shoot the guy and then throw him out. He does it to scare him into talking. Oh yeah, I, I, yeah, I, that whole scene is just. Uh, I think they got a little bit too excited with what they were. Gonna, <laughs> with, no, honestly, I think they they came up with the plane thing and like, oh, this is going to be so great. And then when it came down to actually writing a scene for it, they were like, I don't know. It's a little bit of a stretch. Anyway, guys, we're done talking about Batman. We're here to talk about Star Trek. We'll be back in a couple days with The Visitor. Clay, thank you very much for coming on. I'll say that, and thank you for coming on in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me. And guys, we will see you next time.